Are you going to come to the theater? Are you going to come to the movies on Saturday? I got a ticket. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a laugh. We'll go get food afterwards. Yeah, we'll get food. That'll be the high point. Honestly, it's those nice comfy seats. Just sleep and then we'll go for food afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to the food. I'll say that. So you remember a little while back we did that episode on Halloween Kills? I mean, that was a year ago, pretty much, that we did that. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the time that passed, I I kind of forgot a lot about it. So I was like, okay, I'll watch it again. As I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, wow, we might have been totally wrong about this. I might might actually really enjoy this. And then it gets to the Tommy stuff with Anthony Michael Hall. (laughs) And I'm like, nope, we were totally right about this movie. (laughs) We were totally right. (laughs) God, it's so bad. Out of control, it's so bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's just silly. It's just silly. It's so silly. It's so stupid. But it's kind of fun. Just so stupid. You might be like, this actually might be pretty good. Yeah. It's really pushing the line, though. So I don't know. I'd be interested to see if he pulls it back for the next one. Is this still David Gordon Green? Yeah, I think he's doing the trilogy. You know what else he does that's kind of cool in it, too? If you take Anthony Michael Hall out of it, all of the people getting riled up and like chasing down that guy who they think is Michael Myers, but it's just some like escape mental patient. That bit's actually pretty thrilling. He's doing some kind of cool stuff. Jimmy Lee Curtis is awesome in it, but she's almost not in the movie. I don't think it's worth a watch again. I think it's a better movie than Hellraiser. Oh, okay. Oh, no. Which is wild because that's David Buckner. Is it David Buckner? Robert Buckner. Anyway, the guy did The Night House. Yeah, it's David Buckner. And I had this this whole discussion last night with about, what was that movie you guys were talking about where it was Bruckheimer or something like that? I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But it was, it was, it was Bruckner. Yeah. God, we've never done a Bruckheimer movie. Well, like Armageddon. <laughs> Weren't we going to do Ambulance? Is that Bruckheimer? Was that Bruckheimer? I mean, or is that Michael uh, Bay. Michael Bay. No. Because it was Bruckheimer and Simpson, wasn't it? Don Simpson, Jerry Bruckheimer. Mm-hmm. And then I think Don Simpson died. It could be the way around. Con Air. All of those big action movies. That'd be funny if we did one of those. <laughs> well, welcome to Movies Last Night. My name is Scott, and today I'm joined by the one and only Eric. It's me, the one and only Eric. With no other Eric's anywhere ever other than you. I absorb all the other Eric's and then we become one. I'm like the Highlander of the group. <laughs> the Kurgan? Is it the Kurgan? Yeah. That's what they call him, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. you're more like the Kurgan than the Highlander. I think I would be a bit uh, more like the Highlander. Okay. What's the difference between a Kurgan and a Highlander then? Because they both do the same thing. One's cooler than the other one, I think. I don't know. The Kurgan being the cooler one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Kurgan being the cooler one. I haven't seen that movie for a while. Well, I mean, they, they both take the power whoever they kill, but it's as if like Highlanders aren't in that much of a hurry to do it and the Kurgans have to do it all the time. I don't know if that's a difference because essentially they do the same thing. <laughs> We've got to get it's to already gone. It's already gone off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's when you're talking, I might look that up. <laughs> It's interesting. I'm interested in that now. No, I won't. I'm just going to stop talking now and let you go. (laughs) What are we going to do today on today's episode, Eric? Today we're going to do God's Country. And I don't have any of the information pulled up on it, (laughs) but I can. It was such a dice roll me saying that to you. God's Country, which just came out. It came out about 
We're in early October now. I think it came out late September in theaters. So it got a limited run. I know that some AMCs had it on small screens. I think our local Arthouse Movie Theater had it on for a little while, but then it kind of automatically went to streaming. Directed by Julian Higgins, or Higgins, however he pronounces it, starring Tandy Newton. And that is about one of the only people that you will recognize in this movie. Maybe some people will recognize Jeremy Bob, who plays the deputy sheriff in this. He has he does some character stuff. Maybe Jefferson White, uh, who plays Samuel, one of the kind of antagonists in it. He looks familiar. He does. But for the most part, it's it's a lot of uh, small players in this grand drama. When a grieving college professor confronts two hunters, she catches trespassing on her property. She draws, She's drawn into an escalating battle of wills with catastrophic consequences. And that, that sums it up pretty well. Way to go, letterbox. Very succinctly. It's pretty much the be all and end all of the movie. I think that's a good point about the supporting actors. Some of them are on that level where you're like, I know that person, but it's not immediate where you know them from. They've been around, you've seen them in a few different things. Tandy or Tandy Newton? I think I've heard it Tandy. I could be completely wrong about that. I mean, she's been around forever and I think very oftentimes overlooked as like, oh yeah, she's great, you know? But obviously see her in Westworld. She's good in that. I haven't seen all of Westworld. She's so reliable that if she's in something, you know she's going to be good. I've seen all of all of the Westworlds except the last season I haven't watched yet. I think it's just coming out, isn't it? Or coming out soon? Yeah, it's all done. It came out, I want to say a month or t- month and a half ago, and all the episodes are out, so I'm going to watch it. When was the first time you saw Thandi Newton? I think the first time I saw her, this might be a long shot, I'm, I'll have to double check this, but I think she was in that Tupac Shakur movie with Tim Roth. Is it called Gridlock? What's that movie called? Mm, yeah, it is. It is Gridlock. Good. Yeah, good pull. Thandi Newton in that movie is plays like the th- like the third friend who's also kind of having a relationship with Tupac Shakur, I think. She's been in pretty much everything that anyone has ever seen. <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking at uh at her thing. She's been in Solo, uh Pursuit of Happiness, Interview with a Vampire, 2012. I forgot that. MI2, Crash. She was in Crash. She was in Crash. Rock and Rolla, W Riddick. Uh, all the old, all the old night, like she's been in everything, but I really started to pay attention to her when I got into Westworld. I was like, man, she's like excels over so many people in, in that series. She's great. I think she's super underrated. I think one day she's going to do something and everybody's going to be like, oh yeah, we all know that Tandy Newton's amazing. I think like she hasn't had her due. No. No, I mean, she's a working actor, so she's probably getting what she needs out of the career, like a journeyman. Yeah, totally. And she does a lot of TV. Eric, it was making me think of a few different things as I watched it. Uh, It's such a genre as a modern Western or a neo-Western. Movies that follow the traditional Western tropes, but are set in more contemporary times. Is there any movies of this modern Western genre you might want to recommend? Well, I think my recommends are going to be pretty typical. And I also think that 
people have seen at least two of them that I'm going to recommend because they're so good and they really kind of fit within that genre. Uh, One of them is obviously No Country for Old Men. I mean, you can't have a discussion about uh, neo-Westerns or modern Westerns without bringing up No Country because it's such a it's such a perfect movie to plug into that description. Uh, another movie that I thought of immediately as I was watching this was Wind River. That movie is so good. Jeremy Renner, I believe. And it's it's very, it's almost the same setting. It's very kind of subtle. It's a slow burn like this movie is. It builds, I mean, there's this tension that builds up through the entire thing with this crazy payoff at the end, very kind of tragic uh, murder mystery that happens. And I really want to watch it again because of, because I immediately thought of, of that movie uh, as I was watching this. And for a third one, which I think is the top one, and it was hard to kind of take the, the spot of No Country, but I think one of the, the best neo-Westerns to come out in, I don't know, maybe a decade or so, is uh, Hell or High Water. That's an excellent movie. But Chris Pine and Ben Foster, Jeff Bridges. I, I mean, the cast is crazy. The pacing of it is is so good. The tone is great. The action of it is great. It, it's just, it's an all around just great thriller. So the only other movie that was on my list, which I'll add in, because Eric's already used two of them, Brokeback Mountain, the Ang Lee movie. I mean, it's a romance movie and obviously very famous because at the time, it was it's a romance movie about two men played by Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. Anyway, regardless, Ang Lee's such a brilliant filmmaker, in my opinion, especially considering how many different genres he covers and how many, like, he constantly moves with each movie onto into new new territory. He's very restless like that, but it's just a great movie and it's a great romance movie. It's very tragic, obviously. Wind River was a really good pull because Wind River, I think, tonally feels a lot like God's country. Like it has a kind of a unforgiving bleakness to it where you're like, God, I would hate to live there. (laughs) Despite how beautiful it is, it feels inhospitable. And that's because of the landscape. And I think that's a huge thing to do with Westerns. I mean, it definitely, it it takes a special person to kind of live that life. I like modern amenities, I guess, too much. (laughs) (laughs) I like the, I like the idea of just walking out to my car and it's starting and I I don't have to make any preparation around that. And I like the idea of living next to a movie theater. Boom. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have to drive for an hour to find a movie theater? (laughs) Yeah. You have to drive for an hour just to get groceries, I'm sure. Notable mentions, Jennifer Lawrence's breakthrough movie, Winter's Bone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. In a, in a way. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. I mean, I think any, any movie where it's one person pretty much against the world or against a community in a way where they're trying to stand up for some sort of kind of moral, ethical some sort of justice, you know, some sort of code and everybody else is fighting against them. They make a lot of sacrifices in between all that could be considered kind of a modern Western or a neo-Western, I guess. The theme of justice or seeking justice, the notion of justice and, and what you think is deserved justice for the character and what the character thinks it is and what it actually is in like a larger scale. I think what's interesting about God's country, it's very ambiguous with its morality, almost ambiguous with characters, motivations and decisions, which makes it both very, very rewarding and also really frustrating, which we'll get into when we talk about it. I did want to bring up something too. Obviously, we mentioned before 
the Western being so hinged on its location and its environment, if you if you will. The main character in the movie is where it's set. You see this big sweeping range and you see people very small against this massive wild country. What's interesting to me about this movie, and I wanted to talk about it, is the movie, it's set in one location, which is Western Montana, which I've never been to. Have you ever been to Montana? No. It's also really talking about, it's talking about two places. It's talking about Western Montana, the specific situation of living there and the hardships of living there, but it's also really talking about New Orleans, which couldn't be any further. It's such a far removed environment. And I think that's really fascinating. Western Montana, to my knowledge, I was reading about this yesterday, is a lot of Native American tribes, early 19th century. And then what happened was somebody found gold there. So a lot of prospectors pushed up to Western Montana and started a lot of gold digging was going on there. And then so because of the gold industry, little towns started to appear. And to this day, there's still mining going on, but they actually shuttered a lot of the mines recently, just around before the pandemic with the recession. Western Montana is one of the worst hit places in America. It's still largely untapped four or five, I think, major cities in Western Montana. And the rest of it is just wild, barren landscape. If we cross over and we start talking about New Orleans, also known as the Big Easy, it's been in a hundred movies. It's notorious. It has this kind of, it's like this French Cajun, it's the French Quarter. Is that what they call it? Yeah. I mean, that's part of it. Definitely. It's a commercial hub for the Gulf Coast region of the United States. So again, totally different to Western Montana in, in the sense that it's 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 a port. It's also has such a history. So it has the Creole cuisine, the music. It's also the origin of, of modern American music. <laughs> a melting pot of different cultures. It's a very musical, colorful place. Again, I've never been there, unfortunately. Have you been there, Eric? No, I have not. Founded in 1718 by French colonists. You couldn't think of two more different places. And what's always been fascinating to me about America, Eric, probably why I like Westerns so much. I've always been fascinated by how America can feel like two entirely different countries, depending on how far you are away from each other, because it is so different and it changes so vastly over how big it is as a landmass. Growing up in England, other than people's accents, it just looks exactly the same. If I was to drive down the south of England, I mean, it looks exactly the same. Our scenery and our landscape doesn't change because you can drive the length of the country in like nine hours. Whereas here you can go from like deserts to like mountains and like snow-capped valleys and stuff. (laughs) Aren't we wonderful? (laughs) No, I mean, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful country, um, just full of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, right now there's probably five different Americas that we live in. So that's always fascinated me just in general. That's also a huge part of this movie, how you can come from one culture and it be so vastly different to this new culture that you find yourself living in, despite the fact that you're in the same country and you speak the same language, you use the same money. It's very interesting. With this movie, it's it's tell it's definitely telling a, a few different stories. One almost a fish out of water story to a degree, but not really. It's not like she just walked into this this valley and is trying to figure out how everything works. She's a very capable individual who has this drive, maybe it's a wrong word, but but this drive to to kind of survive or this ability to survive. Anywhere, it appears. You can take her and put her in New Orleans and then she thrive, She would thrive in that community. 
And then you put her in this uh, Montana culture and then she has the ability to to thrive in this culture as well so that character is, seems to be able to move within a variety of cultures and has a very good kind of understanding of what it takes almost an empathy like the, the character is very kind of empathetic towards everyone even her antagonists in this in this film and it, it makes her a very kind of believable character, a, be- a believable protagonist throughout the film. When you sat down to watch it, you watched it yesterday, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I watched it. it would have been Saturday night. Since switching to using headphones rather than a speaker system, I feel far more immersed in a movie now. It's a, it's a way I'm like tricking myself to feel a little bit more like I'm in, in a theater or I'm a bit more isolated with the movie. And I've been noticing over the past few movies I watched, I mean, been doing it for a few months now, I've become far more aware of sound editing, sound design. And this movie has some really, really excellent uh, use of sound, despite the fact that it feels it's very quiet a lot of the time. But I think part of that silence is what makes it so effective when sound actually comes in. I do recommend if your TV, to anybody listening, if your TV has the capability to run a headphone out, or even if he has like a decent Bluetooth setup, give it a try because it's very interesting. It's definitely, I think, improved my experience of watching movies at home you could you definitely get a little bit a different immersion within it there was a few movies that i've done that with there was the movie the guilty the original and then the remake that they did on netflix i watched both of those with headphones on because i think that movie in particular was made to experience with headphones because you're getting a very different experience because of everything that you can hear that the kind of the slight things that happen within the headphones uh, in opposed to what you would hear through like a sound bar or uh, television speakers, you would miss a lot of things. That movie in particular, those those two movies in particular are, I always suggest someone uh, watches with headphones. Um, and then there was probably just a few different ones that that I watched that you you really do kind of pick up the, the nuances of, of those sound effects the editing effects that they really want you to hone in on. So sorry for sidetracking the conversation. I just wanted to bring it up. <laughs> How was your viewing experience when you sat down to watch it and spoiler free impressions? I really, I enjoyed the movie a lot. What I will say about it is it is, and I, I mentioned it earlier, it is very much a kind of a slow burn thriller in a way, you know, stuff is going to, you know, the tension is going to be ratcheted up throughout the whole movie and that and that happens and and yeah i i didn't know i i didn't know how it was going to end i thought it it was going to end at a certain point but then it it kind of continued on tendy newton excellent excellent in this role someone who's has a very kind of complex background and is trying to come to terms with a lot of things that have happened in her past stuff that has happened in her present and then what she is going to do in the future. There's a very kind of complex road that she takes or path that she kind of takes in this movie. Everybody else in it, a great supporting cast, the, the antagonists of the picture seems almost very kind of of that area and of that culture. I found it really interesting in the beginning. They, it's, it's not really a spoiler because it's like right in the beginning. There's like this classroom and then there's a slideshow that happens 
and you get uh, a sense of the region just through that slideshow. And it's very kind of it's very interesting. It's very telling of what this movie is going to be if you hone in and really kind of focus on 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 what they're showing you within that slideshow. It is going to be what the movie is. I have a, a feeling that. If you just watch the trailer, you, you're assuming it's going to be kind of this, maybe this Hatfields and McCoys kind of like shoot them out. It gave me a huge Straw Dogs vibe. Yeah. It's going to be in your face conflict the entire time when it's really not. It's very kind of subtle. A lot of things that are happening here. They're tackling a race issue. They're tackling a cultural issue. They're tackling a regional issue. The idea of police brutality there there's so many themes there's so many themes that you don't really get from the trailer that are happening in this and i was kind of pleasantly surprised by what was presented because as as the information is kind of unfolded for you it does it in a in a way that i really appreciated and that is in most movies they're going to give you information with an exposition dump or one character telling another character, this is why X, Y, and Z is happening. I think the very kind of subtle and cool thing that happens in this is there is a a thing that, that her character is dealing with that is right up front, and it has to do with her past. And you're just given an image. You're giving like, you're given an image of, of her house, and there's an image of a bed, and you, you, you put together okay, I know what has happened here. And I'm trying to kind of stay as vague as possible uh, because I don't want to spoil anything. The information is given you through images. And if you're able to kind of catch it, watch it, discern it for what it is, then you could piece it together yourself. And I really appreciate that instead of just an exposition dump that you normally get in a movie. So it really, it respects the audience in that way. And then these great scenes of water overtaking a structure that kind of just flash in and out, you know, and you're like, what is this about? I don't understand. And you get that kind of information a little bit later on. And it, and it really kind of it kind of hits heavier in a way, you know, um, so I really I really appreciated how much it respected the audience. And didn't play, did, didn't take the kind of the easy route in a lot of kind of situations where in maybe a lesser movie, it would just be, it would just turn into like this big confrontational shootout over a period of an hour or whatever, you know, and very kind of typical where it really doesn't. It respects the fact that it, it knows it wants the audience to feel that tension, to feel the isolation of the environment see how and to see how that affects all the characters involved and i really kind of i really uh, respected the story and the ending that i got i really enjoyed it i'm starting to like the movie even more just just through you describing your experience yeah. <laughs> of watching the movie because there's so many things i think you you hit the nail on the head with i think the, the the biggest part being the the notion that the the movie introduces changes or introduces information about specifically about the main character, but it also does it with supporting actors too, and it introduces that information visually. 
So you just see visual cues and then you, you automatically start to go without giving away any spoilers. There's a, there's a moment where uh, Tanya Newton goes into her attic space and she starts looking through a box. Well, what oh, she's yeah. looking through a box for? We'll say what it is when we get into the spoiler section. Just her digging through that box and then her looking through the box starts giving you a ton of information that you didn't know. She is, in a way, looking for that information herself, reminding herself of who she is at that moment and then we're learning about who she is, but it's yeah, none of it is given to you. The opening scene of the movie where it shows you the slideshow, which I think is a really beautiful and, and very eerie setup, flashes forward to where Tandy Newton's living. Yeah, you see a bed. You see like a bed in a room. And from where that bed is in the room, the state of the bed, what's next to the bed and where it's set up, it tells you almost everything you need to know about her current living situation. A like five second shot, which is so cool. I think visually it's it's really beautiful in this awesome non-showy kind of way where it's it's almost like the camera is like just an observer. So when it, we see shots of the landscape, it doesn't feel as if they're in the landscape plays a huge part of this. Obviously, and we see these huge sweeping vistas of mountains and snow capped hills and what have you. And she lives in a really cool location. It's like a valley in the dead of winter. But what I really love about the movie too is when I say that about the camera, it's as if they just put the camera down and like, this is what it looks like. It doesn't feel like somebody's trying to take a beautiful picture. It feels like somebody's just trying to document it in a way. And now I know that they obviously are. There's a lot of work goes into cinematography and how they light shots. I don't feel like the cinematography gets in the way of the, the story at all, which I think is really cool. I think the performances throughout the movie are very, very good from top to bottom, actually. You also hit the nail on the head, too, that it's covering a lot of themes, women's rights, racism, misogyny. It's also covering institutionalized racism within certain, I don't want to give any spoilers, but within certain institutions. But then it's also talking about poverty. There's so much going on within religion it. is in there too. It, it's everything. Yeah, it's so much. Yeah. In a way, when it's talking about New Orleans, it's also talking about government neglect of cities and neglect of people in both, honestly, probably Western Montana and in for, for very different reasons. But it doesn't feel preachy about any of it. It's interesting with a movie like this, it, it, it would be easy to be like, OK, these are the bad guys. These are the good guys sort of thing. There is a place where you can empathize with both sides. Um, there, there's this very kind of, there, there's a particular scene where you get a look into one of the, I guess the antagonists, one of, one of the antagonists lives and you understand their situation and you are able to empathize with their situation where uh, a different movie would never kind of give you that background. And and that's in all sides. That's that's in the the so-called the good guy sides or or the people who who you would you would consider in that position. You get everything. You get you you get their kind of their their background and, and their kind of morality. And then you also get the the background and morality of those other characters too. I'm not hundred percent positive on the movie. I think the movie is really, really good. There are some things about the movie that bug me though, specifically some characters' actions and the way that some of the characters behave. It's not that I think it's bad, it's just it's kind of 
counterintuitive to how I think they would behave. So some of the decisions that are made for the characters to act out kind of infuriate me. We can talk about that when we talk about spoilers, and that really ties into the ending of the movie too. Before we do that spoiler section, if I was just to recommend this movie now to our listeners, it's a huge recommend for me. I hope it finds an audience somewhere because I, I don't... I have the feeling it's going to fly under the radar this year and maybe it'll pick up some steam on like a streaming service. But I don't think it is something that people are talking about it enough, really. I think it was IFC put this movie out. Yeah. But I always feel like their movies don't get pushed a lot, not like an A24 movie. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if they have like a different setup. But they release good movies, and I feel like if this was an A24 movie, way more people would be talking about it. They would. Like, uh, the movie that we kind of went back and forth on uh, that we were going to watch this week was uh, God's Country and God's Creatures, which uh, God's Creatures is... Yeah, that's an A24 movie. That's A24. Yeah, it's an A24 movie, and it is... Emily Watson and Paul Mescal. Paul Mescal, who's blowing up right now, he's in Normal People, but he's, he's excellent in that. And that's a huge recommend for me. And Daisy Edgar Jones, who was in that, they've both blown up. She went off separately and obviously doing like Where the Crawdads Sing. He seems to be more interested in doing art house movies. So he is in A24's upcoming After Sun, which is getting incredible buzz. And he's also in God's Creatures with Emily Watson. Yes, correct. It was a toss up between those two movies uh, that we were going to watch. And I was like, ah, this one sounds like it's going to be kind of a thriller slash revenge type movie i mean i i could i was wrong completely but but it was uh, it was so much better than that and with the with the god's creatures it was like well it's a24 and they put out a respectable product so i know i'll probably like it but it just seemed very drama heavy you know almost in a manchester by the sea sort of vibe you know what's interesting though, Eric, is I think it's actually flipped because whilst God's Country is hushed like a thriller and it's less like a thriller when you actually start to watch it, apparently God's Creatures is a straight up thriller when you watch it and you don't think it's going to be. So that, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have to watch it. So it's on the list. It's on the list anyway. So God's Country, Eric, is at 89% fresh over critic reviews, over 76 critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. This is where it gets interesting. And this is why I think this movie probably won't do very well long term. It's only 50% based on an audience score of around the same amount of ratings. And I don't want to be the guy that says this because I know this isn't necessarily true. I just don't think this is the kind of movie that modern audiences want to watch. I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I mean, it's, it's not the type a movie that if you go into it expecting one thing and then you you get what the movie is which i think is great if you weren't ready for that then it could be a disappointment in the same way that when i went to see the movie nightingale which was a which was kind of pushed as a revenge movie it is not the movie that you're kind of expecting or would be ready for but nonetheless it's a great movie I don't know. You you really kind of have to tamper your expectations when it comes to movies in that way. Just kind of go into it with the knowledge that everybody is doing kind of their best with the with this material and really kind of respecting the audience would be my 
review for it. it it's an audience that's not going to spoon feed anything to you, and it really is going to respect your intelligence as you're watching it. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into spoilers for God's Country. Won't be long. See you soon. <laughs> it off by the way oh i am yeah, you, are. <laughs> you don't get out of it uh, you know what's funny is we did this how did i get this job <laughs> we did that see how they run episode with jason and zach okay so he's doing that and i said to zach i was like okay you're eric you gotta lead it off you gotta lead the, the spoiler free discussion in zach's face he was like i don't want to do it and i was like just do it zach. <laughs> I never take the back seat, though. I always end up talking way too much. All right. And we're back. Uh, movies last night, spoiler section. So if you have not seen God's Country, then go ahead and hit pause, come back. It's only like an hour 40, so watch it and then come back and listen to this. And maybe we get it right. Maybe we get it wrong. We'll see. So you've been warned. One, two, three, spoilers. So... I want to talk about the ending of the movie and it could have ended in a lot of different ways and the way that it did. And I was both satisfied with, and I think it could have done without too, but I think that's what, it, that's what it was building up to anyway. It's, it's just, they were, they were pushing her to a point of no return and it had to happen the way that it did. My only kind of question is, so she kills both of those men at the, one of their houses. She just walks in and basically shotguns them. And you, we don't see it. It's uh, Our perspective is from the outside. We just kind of hear the blasts and like cries for like, don't shoot sort of thing or uh, whatever. I understand her killing one of the people. I My question is, why do you think that she killed the other one that she kind of built a rapport with about halfway through the movie? I think the ending of the movie is the weakest point of the movie. And I can understand people thinking it being very strong too. And I get it. I, get, I think it works. It probably works both ways. For me, though, it didn't really sit. As viewers for the movie, when we're presented with the situation and we're following her and we get to see these acts, by these men there's a payoff i think that we start to want we want these guys to get fucked over because of the way they're acting in increasingly more despicable ways we get introduced to them trespassing and then aggravated trespassing then that scene between tandy newton and him where she goes to confront the younger guy at his house there's a suggestion of sexual assault the movie really throws itself off and what i love is as i love the scene where she follows the other guy the one you were talking about going to church and he's taking his mother to church and she sits down to have a conversation which is such a that's probably the best scene of the whole movie oh yeah 
So that interaction between those two, where we start to see the similarities between them, they both have a specific relationship with the mother. The mother both played the same song at a church. And then we realize that here's this like working class white poor guy, you know, your typical white American working class family. They couldn't be any more different uh, as people in terms of a culture class, but then they both have that one thing in common. They're relationship with their mother and then the mothers are both very very religious and like so when they start to talk it's a really effective scene i think but the problem with that scene is it makes the ending more bizarre and it also makes his actions more interesting to me when the violence escalates and then they basically burn down tandy newton's house which is fucking wild by the way yeah I want to see those guys get punished, right? The movie denies you of that by when she does confront them and kills them, it's off screen. So the movie denies you the payoff. Okay, fair enough, right? I feel conflicted about the way he acted towards the end. Every time he has a confrontation with the other guy, the other guy backs down, right? Despite the fact there's like eight other guys. So if we're going off that weird like alpha bro pack mentality, he's still the boss of that thing because the other guy is subservient to him. He does back down from that challenge. So I just don't understand how we let him set fire to that. You know what I mean? It just feels weird. Yeah. I mean, it could, it could be that the fire like one of those other groups of guys set that fire and he got out of control it got out of control and the one guy relishes in the fact that of the chaos of it because that's just his life just a a never-ending kind of chaos and and insanity in a way and where the other guy is like has a kind of has a like um, a moral foundation or a some sort of foundation where he understands like how wrong this is but isn't able to overcome his circumstance or doesn't know how to overcome his circumstance and like his role is that of a servant to his mother and nothing else it's very interesting i was fine with the ending i was fine with her shooting them both i was okay with it i was i was just like i questioned why shot the one that that she kind of had that conversation with but i understood it in a way because i had an idea that it was going to happen because uh, unfortunately, you you know that is the way it's going to go down as soon as they killed her dog. And I was like, <laughs> and, it, and it was like, it was like, as soon as I saw the dog and having just a little inkling of what the movie was, I was like, that dog is not going to survive. <laughs> on the first shot of the dog, the camera stays on the dog for a little while. Yeah, straight. I was like, that dog's dead. That dog's not going to live. Yeah, un- unfor- un- unfortunately, because it, uh, the, even the dog has a, has a character and has a kind of. I love the way that they photograph the dog in, in certain situations. Very much a character within the movie that that is that is very interesting. Just the kind of the subtle turns that the dog makes around in certain situations. I just love the way that they photograph the dog. Really, you're totally right. Because remember that scene where like there's a scene where the dog it's shot from the rear of the dog so the dog's yes exactly yeah 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 so they frame the dog as somebody who lives there you know what i mean yeah rather just yeah exactly it's somebody that lives on that particular ranch in that valley yeah yeah i mean it's that's what i mean when it has like such care for the audience and such respect for the audience where it's like in, in other movies, they just throw the dog in there and it would just be like a John Wick situation where it's like, oh, a puppy, boom, dead. John Wick kills everyone sort of thing, you know? So so the 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 character of the dog has, has 
so much going on in it that you know it's a character and a person in this movie. We can get into kind of I mean, there's so there's so much to kind of get into and unpack with this. Uh, so let's start with kind of the unpacking of the box when she goes to the house to kind of go through the stuff that she's actually no pun intended that she's packed away like her past that she's kind of packed away and when she kind of pulls it out she's pulling out that the the past and she's pulling out and it gives you that information like okay who who was a who was the cop because she starts going through it's a it's a cop's uniform it's a cop's certificate you know when you when you get a look at that box that's kind of taped up you're like that's a gun right there so that's probably a police revolver or that's her police gun so just by her unpacking that box, you know who she is right away. You know, we never see her mother, but we know that her mother's passed, you know, and she's been very sick and then she's passed. And we were led to believe that she was being sick because we see like the breathing apparatus. So, again, visual storytelling. So, when she starts going through the box and then we see like that police certificate of the box when she opens it up, I thought her mother might have been a policewoman in New Orleans. For a second. Yeah. Yeah. For a second. Yeah. Because in your head, you, you're not thinking somebody who's like a tenured professor at a college was once a beat cop in New Orleans. You know what I mean? Her mother, on the other hand, maybe she was a female beat cop during the like 60s or 70s or whatever. You know what I mean? So I knew why she was going through the box because I, I, I in the media, I was like, she's looking for some kind of self-defense protection thing. Oh, police. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And then when she gets a gun out, then you start to, when you realize it's her, to readdress and reevaluate the way she's handling the situation. Because there's a calmness to the way she handles the situation, which is fascinating because obviously if you were, even if, if it was just me, regardless of whether you're male or, or female, if I was living in like a pretty much completely isolated environment with no other human beings around, the fact that this red van would pull up there and these people, I would know that these, they're these people who I don't know in the woods surrounding me would creep me out. But she has this kind of confidence in the way she approaches the situation. So when you find out that she's a policewoman, it makes sense because her way of conflict resolution and dealing with the situation and de-escalating the situation whilst also remaining in control of it, you know, it becomes all very apparent. It's almost like second nature. You know, she teaches public speaking at the college. You get you get her background and the reason that she's not on the, the police force anymore, which we will talk about. You get the scene when they're when they're confronting the they could be brothers or they could just be friends. You're not really given that much information about them at the uh, at the tree yard where where it's like they are highly outnumbered. And so the and the one cop does what uh, someone in that situation probably would do. And they they escalate the situation, knowing the tensions that are already that that are involved with the two groups of people already, the police and then the community at large, because the police force is so small and, and they're probably they, they treat the community in a certain way. And he does the thing that you're not supposed to do, which is he oversteps with his authority. He escalates the situation and it is going to go bad really fast. And she, having her background, knows how to step in and de-escalate the situation. And you, and with that, you get a glimpse of the type of, of police officer that she was. And she was probably a very decent and good police officer, someone who want who wanted to provide for her community, provide for for the people that she served, and wanted to make the the city that she lived in a better place. And how it ultimately 
betrayed her in a way or betrayed her kind of sense of what that job was and what that kind of what that community was, you know. Um, so it's it's very kind of interesting in a way that they kind of portray those relationships. We can get into kind of the conversation that she has at the dinner party with the other police officer, which I thought was really interesting. It was a great bit of storytelling too. Kind of it gives you those glimpses into why we're getting those visuals of this building being overrun by water. And you find out that she was a police officer during Hurricane Katrina and how all that kind of played out. Yeah. And what's interesting about that too is normally in a movie when they do that flash scene to something else and, and it's all red. So it's lit red, which gives the indication, at least with the first few scenes of water, because it escalates. The scenes go from a few drops of running water, gets more and more elaborate as those those scenes happen, where they get intercut without the movie. But in the first few ones, when it's all lit red, it looks like it's blood. And then it becomes apparent that it's just lit red, but it's water. It's like a flood that's washing away things and debris and what have you, which is really clever because usually in a movie, that kind of device is used to show or predict the ending of the movie or to give you a clue of this is how the movie's going to end up. So obviously with that first scene where it looks like blood, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, this is going to be the end of the movie. It's going to be this massive confrontation. There's going to be blood spilt. It's going to be, as that scene goes on, you're like, oh, well, it looks like running water. Yeah, that's really cleverly done. And really, it's like a good inversion of that. And for it to be about Katrina, I think interesting too. Her character's motivations where she felt betrayed by the institution that are betrayed by the, the government and in, in for police in terms of the response and how they could protect people speaks a lot about her character, but also why she's so frustrated, which is also mirrored very cleverly in her frustration with the school system when she's trying to suggest that they might want to include more people of color when they hire professors there. And then also with the way he is acting, the other professor who's like one of the head professors, I guess, who she has the, the big, she butts up heads with. I think that uh, he is taking over the dean of the school because that's the scene where where they're congratulating that older uh, gentleman and he's basically taking his place. Maybe he is going to become the head of that department or maybe the dean of the school uh, at that point. So she's obviously railing against the unjust system that seems to permeate throughout everything. And it also seems to permeate between the haves and the have-nots. Men, like the patriarchy, systems built to protect people, to educate people, to fulfill people are corrupted at its core, you know what I mean? And society just lets people be victims. Just like she's becoming victim to these men in how nobody can help her and nobody's protecting her. And she's just like, that's the way it is. There's this really interesting scene that happens when she's confronting the uh, the kind of younger antagonist at his house. And she's like, why are you this way? You know, why? Like she's she's still trying to understand why things are the way that they are and why individuals act a certain way. And it's very it's very kind of interesting because uh, he doesn't know. He he doesn't know. And I don't even think that he cares to know. He j- he is because he doesn't talk much. I mean, he's almost a manifestation of just instinct, you know, just a prime, just a primal instinct, you know, and he just he acts. He acts because that is just that is just the primal side of him. And that's what he he uh responds to and and probably respects the most you know and, and where she it takes that opposite side where she is the morality and the kind of the justice of the world 
and she's trying to figure out why are you this way you know you know why 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 does it have to work out this way sort of thing where where it's like all you have to do is just not park on my property <laughs> and it would have been fine you know but it's like no no it's like i'm going to do what i want to do no matter the cost you know so the, the futility of her trying to understand what happened in new orleans and and to understand like the failure of the system yeah how futile that endeavor is is mirrored in trying to understand the motivations of somebody who just genuinely it doesn't care it just doesn't care and she and she can't understand battling in like raging against the fact that she can't understand why nobody cares nobody speak nobody speaks up for anything yeah, yeah it's inaction yeah. and inaction at the college inaction to do anything with new orleans in the way that they let poor people drown and because of her frustration like we feel her frustration when we watch the movie which is why when the movie denies us the payoff like the vindication for like well fuck these guys <laughs> so i'll tell you this eric so my my problem okay so it's with two characters ideally sure right? I have a huge problem with the professor character. The the head character? Yes. Um, the guy yeah. who's taken over the Dean's role. And my problem is this, okay? If we take the time to show us this other so of the two the two antagonists, the two hunters, it take the movie takes the time to show us this guy's life, to show us who he is. He becomes so much more dynamic when we get to learn about him. And it becomes so much more interesting. But then the movie denies us that right for the other two male antagonists. It's a very cut and dry, this is a shady asshole. Which it frustrates me because to do that to one of the characters and then to leave the other two as just being, well, these just two bad guys. It, it feels like it's not really exploring that situation. Or balanced. A balance in it, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, balance, yeah. So what I, I really took umbrage with was I understand that the hunters also use his yard to park in because he lives in the like the next ranch house across the valley from where she lives, which I guess like a lot of people probably over in that living situation just get used to that. So he doesn't really care that those guys are there. But the minute it starts showing him hanging out with them and the minute it starts showing him joking around with them and crushing beers with them and then going to the bar with them and then hanging out with them and then going from the bar to her house to burn down her house seems like way too many steps for that guy. Like that guy can be a dick and that guy can be passive aggressive and that guy can be threatened by her in his job. To go from that to being part of a mob, you don't become a tenured professor and a dean at a college without a level of education. Well, I mean, it could just be like the the commentary on like mob mentality, you know, how everything, well, when you add alcohol uh, into a situation with like uh, machismo, then the lesser minds are just going to follow the the kind of alpha in the situation, right? I think that's kind of what they're showing in that situation. But I understand what you're saying there. Yeah, the guy's a creep, but he's not a lesser mind. Like he's an educated, smart man. You can be a piece of shit and be really clever and know the difference between what he's doing. And I just don't buy that. He wouldn't be hanging out with those guys. He wouldn't. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I totally, I get that criticism. What was the second thing? So that, that bothers uh, me. And then the second thing is, I think, yeah, I, well, I think it's the other guy. So it's the, the uber villain. He's, he's more or less just like a visual representation of that kind of person. He's not even really a character. Yeah. I mean, he he's resigned to his situation and he kind of, he embraces it in a way. There's nothing, he, that character isn't going to go any further than he is in that point. There's nowhere he's going to go. 
Yeah. Have you ever met anybody like that before? I'm not saying anybody who burned down a house, but like, have you ever met anybody like that before where you meet them and you go like, you're just like, this guy's just a jackass and he just doesn't. <laughs> I've hung out with like a lot, a lot of like colorful characters in my life. Um, and I'm 100% sure I have run across people like that who were not going to go any further than where they were at that time and place. Um so yeah, I've 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 been around people like that before, uh, but I have left those situations very fast because it becomes it becomes very dangerous. This person is incredibly dangerous. Like this person could be incredibly dangerous because it's almost like they lack the the mental cap- capacity to think outside of base actions. Well, it's they yeah they they lack. Impulse control is a thing. So, and then, and then you introduce in uh, drugs and alcohol into a situation, and then that escalates really fast. Yeah, yeah. How do you think this movie plays if she doesn't kill them at the end of the movie? If they don't burn down her house, then it 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 can resolve her. It can resolve itself without their deaths. But I think that they force her hand in a way that it has to play out that way. One, you get that speech from the uh, deputy sheriff where it's like people out here tend to handle these things on their own, in their own way. And that's a little bit of foreshadowing right there about how this will end up because there's no, it's it's almost like she says, well, if I am in danger, then I should feel okay with calling on you guys to help out the situation. And he's like, there's not enough police here who will ever be able to help you in whatever situation. So it plays her hand or forces her hand in a certain way. If they burn down her house and they don't kill the the dog, she gets in a car and leaves, you know, but it's like, it's like they just, they push it and push it and push it. And I don't think, I don't see it ending any other way because they didn't give her a way out. They didn't give her a door to go out. One, she knows she can't contact the uh, the, the deputy because he's not going to do anything, even though massive amounts of crime have been committed against her. And I, I would I would assume that she would she has an understanding of the justice system in a way and how it has treated her and and any anyone else of color in a certain in a certain situation unjustly. So she she understands that. Unfortunately, she takes justice into her own hands because she feels like there's no other way. Is it the right call? For this movie, it's the right call. You know, I I don't know. With them killing the dog, that's pretty egregious. I think the minute they burn the house down, the movie hits a point of no return for the characters where it's like, okay, like this has to, it has to go further. Yeah, because it's not only them burning their house down, it's them burning the memory of her mother. Exactly. It's, it's, It's a second death of her mother, basically. 
it's the violation of just erasing somebody and erasing them a off the face of the earth and erasing them their past to as a movie i think if we didn't see them meet some kind of comeuppance it may be incredibly frustrating of an ending like that would be such a frustrating ending if that's how the movie ended it's crazy because it's like you're getting violated by different factors and and, and different um forces like one you're you're she's violated by men she's violated by a system she's violated by racism she's violated by nature one with hurricane katrina and one the the firing the firebombing of her house so it's it's just like the world has conspired against that character and the only way for her to kind of lash out is fighting no pun intended fighting fire with fire you know fighting enforcing justice to the unjust you know Great end shot though, great end shot, but she's just sitting there and she opens the beer. Ultimately, she still loses in that situation because there's no way she gets away with that, which is wild because they got away with everything they wanted to get away with. Potentially, probably would have got away with burning a house down too, but because she stood up for herself, there's no way that they would let a woman of color kill two white boys in the middle of Western Montana and get away with it. I wish the movie didn't make me play detective with what happened afterwards. That frustrates me because <laughs> I wanted something better for her, <laughs> but I know that's not the point. I'm not supposed to, it's not supposed to be happy. It's a bummer movie. Yeah, yeah. it's a bummer it's movie. It's a bummer movie. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when we see the house get burnt down, we're like, that's terrible. That's terrible for her. But that we know that even when she gets revenge for it, it's making it even worse for her because she's probably going to spend the rest of her days in prison, which is even more yeah, of a bummer yeah. ending. <laughs> Some stories are tragic. It could have been approached that, yeah, he doesn't have to be a slime ball to, the, to that degree, but he could have just been, you know, the patriarchy who votes against another person of color being introduced into the uh, faculty. He's more effective when he is that creepy guy. He's less effective when he's that creepy guy, but he's also just a dumb bro. He becomes less less of a menace, I think, when we see him act stupid. I don't know. That's a weird, it's a weird thing to get hung up on, but it did bother me. No movie's flawless. Nothing ever made in art is flawless, but I think the movie is was pretty much unimpeachable up until that point, in my opinion. That's fair. I think that's fair. Should we wrap it up then? Or is there any other points you wanted to bring up? Any other themes or anything? No, I mean, we, we've covered a lot of different things and I'm sure, you know, uh, we could probably talk a lot longer about kind of different situations that, that came up in the movie or different topics that they want, that they highlighted within the movie. But uh, I think we kind of uh, did pretty good on giving kind of the broad, uh, the broad strokes of uh, themes and, and like tone of the movie. And it, it's a recommend. I mean, it's a recommend for me. It's a bummer. It's going to be a bummer for some people to watch. And I, I totally understand that. But I think it's, you know, you have to challenge yourself. You know, it's uh, I and I'll always be a proponent of this where it's like uh, movies sometimes aren't just for entertainment. Movies are a medium where it's going it, to they're going to challenge you and they're going to make you think about it, uh, a handful of things. And and I say, you know, more power to it. And that that's the point of it. And that's that's the art of it. And that is the reason that they are that way, you know, and, the, and that they should be considered art where some people are just like, oh, just a throw it, movies are just movies and they're throwaway, blah, empty entertainment, you know, this movie is a contrary to that. 
Well said. That was very eloquently put. I agree with that 100%. As somebody who loves movies as much as I do, I always get very frustrated. You've probably had this conversation too, but there's like there, there's like a lot of people who see movies as a lesser form of art. Well, it's not literature, but I mean, it kind of is literature. I always get frustrated when, you know, people like um, reduce films to just being like entertainment, like popcorn entertainment. Now, I'm not saying that this is the greatest example of it, but it's definitely of the recent run of movies that we've talked about on movies last night we like to cover a broad range of movies yeah we've been also on a run of just seeing movies at the box office you know what i mean more generic style movies uncovering them on this podcast and i think whenever i rewatch a movie like this it's this move, movie made me feel something it didn't make me feel good it made me feel bummed yeah. out but it made me feel something and i think that speaks to the power of cinema every so often it's nice to have a palate cleanser like this go and do your amc movies go and do your block blockbusters and then have a palate cleanser the slice of lemon yeah. <laughs> it's a very big recommend from me. It's a recommend because I want people to watch this and I, I would love to see what this guy does next. It'll be good, I think. It is a guy, is it? J- Julian? Or is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Because it could uh, be a I, female too. What was it? H- Higgins, Higgins, uh, yeah, however Higgins. he pronounces his last name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Big recommend. So, Eric, before we wrap it up for the evening, oh, well, it's not the evening, it's early in the morning. I have to go to work. Shoot me. I hate having to go to work after doing a podcast, you know, I should just be able to have fun. (laughs) Any recommends for all audiences? Audience? I am right now. I'm, I'm kind of just in the middle of a handful of television shows. So like everybody else in the world, I watch Dahmer on Netflix. Um, yeah, which is outstanding. You know, uh, it's a series is like, I don't know, eight, 10 episodes, whatever. It's a great, it's a great little limited series. If you're, if you're interested in that, you know, it doesn't just tell his, his story, his perspective. It tells the perspective of a lot of a lot of different people that were involved in it. Very interesting. Very well done. I am watching the limited series of the Sandman right now, and I'm really enjoying that. I am Still, I'm on the last season of Ozarks right now. I mean, there's just a lot of television that I'm that I've been watching recently. As far as movies, I, there's a lot of stuff kind of coming up. I know you guys saw Amsterdam recently, and I kind of missed that showing. Um, hopefully, you guys will maybe talk about that later on, or if I catch it, we can do an episode on it. And then there's. I mean, we're we're really in the home stretch of of movies right now with the last couple months, and we're gonna start getting all the heavy hitters coming out. And I feel that I'm so far behind with stuff that I want to see. You know, like everything that came out of Cannes, everything that has came out of the festivals that hasn't made its way to streaming yet. I'm gonna have to catch that before the end of the year, before we do kind of our our wrap up top 10 of the year. It's going to be like last year where I'm going to have to like cram, you know, five or 10 movies in just to kind of have an honest list. So um, I am looking forward to it, but it's just like, I'm going to have to find the time really. Yeah. Before we do end of, yeah, because just like you, I want to be super thorough on it and I don't want to miss anything because I did that last year. There was movies that I missed that came out the year before and they didn't make my list. Then I saw them and I was like, that should have been on my list. (laughs) So yeah, I think I'm just heading into the cramming season. And normally I think this time a lot of people are watching scary movies, Halloween movies, 
on the build up to Halloween. And I always promise myself I'm going to do that every year. And I never really end up doing it. I don't know why. I just don't. I like the idea of watching scary movies around this time. I'm not going to do that this year either. I think I'm just going to try and focus on catching up with the more and more bigger drops coming out of the box office. So we're going to have like Tar's going to be coming out soon. Triangle of Sadness. There's just so many, you know what I mean? That are going to be dropping one after the other. I'm going to, my spare time is going to be catching up on streaming, renting that movie that just, you know, bypassed theaters and went straight on demand. So like, that's my catch up. I think that's what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> Fun fact, Eric, with Dharma, the nightclub called like the 216 or the 219, I think it was called. 219, I think. Yeah. That nightclub, it, the the building still exists in Milwaukee, but it's not it's not a nightclub anymore. The apartment building that he lived in, where he kept his zombie or whatever, that's all been pulled down to the ground. That yeah, doesn't exist. But that nightclub, the building still exists in a neighborhood called Walker's Point in Milwaukee. We had a place in Newcastle called the Pink Triangle, where it was basically all the gay bars. That area in Milwaukee, where it's all the gay bars in Milwaukee, are in one area. The most famous one is called Lacage. But what's funny is, is that's my neighborhood where I used to live, right in the heart of Walker's Point. So now I'm very curious as to the location of my apartment to the Two One Nine Club because I feel like I've probably I need to look it up, but I'm probably Ill I could have lived on the same street. Is that? Oh, really? That club? Yeah. So I want to. I want to check it out. That's a fun fact about me and Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> You're everywhere in history, aren't you? Yeah, everywhere, everywhere, all at once. What is it? Everything, everywhere. All at once. <laughs> Okay, thanks, Eric. I really enjoyed this one. It's a good one. All right. I will recommend Amsterdam before I go. Yeah, Eric mentioned it before. I did catch it. Give that movie a shot. I, for some reason, there's a lot of negativity towards that movie. And I can't really put my finger on why. The movie is pretty good. It's about 20 to 30 minutes too long. It should have, should have been edited down, in my opinion. But it's worth it alone for some of the performances. It's just really fun. That's all the only way I can really, word I can use to describe it. So catch Amsterdam in the theater while you still can, if you can, or if you are so inclined other than that thank you everybody for listening um i hope you've enjoyed this wonderful installment of movies last night see you guys see ya